memory when I say it, crickets abound. But when coaches start to say it, I don't know, maybe, maybe we get the ball rolling on some actual progress in this sport for a change. Instead of mere change for changes, it's sake. Welcome in Lake Kick is Live. It is Thursday night, April 6th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Jam-packed, high atop a bountiful downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I've got a spotlight on several teams in this show. We got a loaded show, loaded show. We got spotlights on several teams. I've got some talk, dare I say, some murmurs out there about playing real spring games for a change. Imagine folks like us able to watch a real life game, a competitive environment in a spring game, you know, different uniforms and all. Obviously, that's in reference to what Hugh Freeze said earlier this week. But look, I've been, I've been chasing tornadoes in the Midwest, so this is the first time I've had an opportunity to speak to you about that. And uh, tales from chasing I will have later in the show. College football needing teams. Is that, a, is that a real thing? Does college football need you? Well, they need us. But do they need teams? Do they need you to be good? Do they need Texas to be good? We will discuss. I've got a Clemson mood tracker for you tonight. I got a lot of stuff. Some on the field, some off the field. I got to call some people out. I got a loaded show, so stay tuned. Thank you for watching. Flowery Branch, Georgia tuned in. Fort Hood, Texas is watching. Columbia, Missouri. I stayed in Columbia kind of quietly the other night. I stayed in Columbia, Missouri. Iowa City. I was in Iowa City the other day. I was very respectful. Uh, Mount Pleasant, Iowa. Got a, lot of, got a lot of things to tell you about those, those portions of the country later on. I do have a quick bookkeeping note for you. There is no show Sunday, and I'm going to tell you why. Because it's Easter, and we don't do shows on Easter. Uh, that's one of the standing rules around here. Tuesday, though, a, a stroke of the chin. Tuesday, what will we do? Well, I'll tell you what we plan on doing. We plan on being at a campus Tuesday. But that's about all I can tell you so far because it's very, very guarded. It's, it's under lock and key around here right now. And so I will let you know on the socials, at Lake Kick Josh, it may very well be that we emanate live from a campus Tuesday night. We'll see. We'll see how that turns out. Also, uh, as I said, later on in the show, you know, the, the hardcores are here for many reasons. So I know some of the reasons you're here. I know some of the things that you want me to talk about. And if you're here for that, don't worry. Before this show ends, I will tell you those stories. But in the meantime, you know, we only have a few months until the show starts or to the, uh, the season starts. So I have a big, bright white spotlight and I want to shine it on some teams tonight. Spotlight teams. Who are we looking at? in 2023. We did some of them the other night, but I got several more tonight, and I want to start with the Oklahoma Sooners. And for many of the same reasons that we spoke about with Texas the other night, it was kind of a shock to the senses, wasn't it? It was for me to watch what happened this past season there on the uh, field in Norman and elsewhere, six and seven. Gross. That's their worst record since 1998. I mean, did have thunk it, right? They were 99th defensively in points per game. They were 122nd defensively in yards per game. They were 0-5 in one-possession games. They were shut out by Texas. Texas named the score against them. And just to think, one year earlier, I was at the Red River shootout, and it absolutely was that and then some. Last year, not so much. So what is this a spotlight team for? What puts a spotlight on Oklahoma? Well, a few reasons. Number one, you can go outside of Oklahoma, even outside of the Big 12. Same deal as what I talked about with Texas the other night. What happens this year with them has an impact on the SEC. For those not keeping score at home, this is the last year that OU and Texas are Big 12 members. Much to the chagrin of no one out there. Everyone wants the divorce to happen and they're expediting it and you can keep the car and you can have the second house in Malibu. Just please, let's get this over with. 
Uh, so they have done just that. So this is the last year that Oklahoma's in the Big 12. Well, that means that we have to figure out where they're going to fit in in the SEC. Same thing with Texas, like we talked about the other night. Pecking order is a real thing. That changes. It's very fluid. It's very static. The pecking order is like a living, breathing thing year to year. But they got to enter somewhere. They got to walk in the door somewhere. Is OU the third best program in the SEC when they get here? Are they the ninth best program, which is a lot more in line with where they would have been last year? I don't know, but I will say you need a whole lot better foundation than they showed last year. You don't want to have wobbly legs walking into the SEC. Uh, recruiting also is, is something that's very much in play here. Obviously, you got to recruit to win anywhere, and you got to recruit to win in the SEC. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, with recruiting in Oklahoma, think about who you are right now. You're not Lincoln Riley. You're not Bob Stoops later on into his tenure there where you're proven. You are still Brent Venables and Brent Venables staff, and it's Brent Venables, Oklahoma, and they're not proven. That's not a bad thing. He can't make time speed up any faster than it goes. We've seen new coaches walk in before. Marcus Freeman's doing this at Notre Dame right now. Kirby Smart did it at Georgia for a while. You've got to sell vision and hope for a little while because you simply don't have a resume and a track record of your own as a head coach. And they're, they're getting by fine on that right now. So I'm not telling you Oklahoma recruiting's in any trouble. In fact, Oklahoma recruiting's kind of on fire and they've done very well in the portal. So they're fine there now. But if they were to have another disastrous season, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out, ooh, that goodwill. That, that vision that people are willing to buy from you, all of a sudden it starts to rapidly evaporate because you don't have anything to fall back on. In this case, you can't even fall back on, yeah, I know things are bad now, but look, we did it before, we'll do it again. No, you didn't do it before. You've never done it. You've never been a head coach. So that's why it's really important to make sure last year is just this, this funny little anecdote that you tell down the road. You know, the, the, the saying always goes like this, hey, even Saban barely made a bowl game his first year. I don't know why the accent was necessary, but, but Saban barely made a bowl game his first year. That's true. What did he do the second year? Uh, undefeated regular season is what he did the second year. So yes, as long as we can do something like that in Norman, we're fine. The second reason this is a spotlight program is because everything in the Big 12 exists downstream of Texas and Oklahoma. You may not like it said that way, but there's a reason when we put those odds up in the preseason, it's always Texas, Oklahoma, and we're figuring out where they are, and then everything else relates to them. So with Oklahoma, the thinking has always been, well, Oklahoma's going to have a better roster along with Texas than pretty much anyone else in the conference, and that's always right. Doesn't always mean they win, but it's, it's pretty much always the case that if Oklahoma does everything they're supposed to, what the rest of the conference does shouldn't matter because all things equal, they're not equal. All things equal, Oklahoma's superior, and Texas, they're superior, and in the, you know, in the, the Big 12s, overarching train of thought, I'm sure back in the day, they just, they just imagined OU Texas playing for the league title every single year. Uh, just like people in the ACC pictured FSU or Miami and Virginia Tech in that thing every year. Hadn't exactly panned out that way, but that doesn't change the fact that any given year, that's the way it should be thought of. And with Oklahoma, hey, if they're rolling this year and either Dylan Gabriel or maybe even Jackson Arnold has stepped in as a true freshman and they're rolling at quarterback and and Brent Venable's defense is playing like we saw them play at Clemson, probably doesn't matter. You probably don't have another Kansas State or TCU type story. But if they're not that, or if they're just a little miniature version of that, well then, you insert into the equation all sorts of possibilities. So that's the second thing. The third thing is just what we were talking about with Steve Sarkeesian, what we've been talking about with Mike Norvell, Brent Venable's year two, 
is going to prove a lot of people right or a lot of people wrong. I am, I am in the camp that still believes, hey, Brent Venables will get things figured out. Uh, there are some other folks out there, and some of them I respect, who wholeheartedly disagree with that. There are some folks out there who think Venables is in 10 feet over his head, and um, this year will serve to solidify the negative opinions that people built of him last year. That's the camp I'm not in. I don't know which camp's going to be proven right. Obviously, I'm in the camp I'm in because I think I'll be right. I think Oklahoma will win, you know, eight games minimum this year and maybe more. So I think it'll be a moot point. But if it's not, if I'm wrong, if they're right back there struggling to make a bowl game again, even though it's only two years in and I wouldn't be banging the hot seat drum necessarily, yes, you will have some people proven right one way or the other. I think the worst thing would be if they win seven games and they lose another four of them by one possession, because then really, really no one's proven right. It's a classic Bob situation, classic bounce of ball thing where one little bounce here or there would have been the difference in a double-digit win season and not making a bowl game. Oklahoma, spotlight team. Is this a good part in the show? Yes, it's a good part in the show. I've got a bone to pick. It is so big, I'm not going to pop the paper. I'm not going to do a post-it pop. I'm going to do a full pen drop. You'll have to excuse me as I go Justin Wilson and pull some food out from under the desk. The real ones down in Cajun country know. Um, so the other night, what would, what would it be, Colin? About two weeks ago, I just I fired a proverbial warning cannon shot over the bow of a local restaurant. Mediterranean outfit, as I called them. And I, I went no further than that, but I was, I was a little agitated. I was an unsatisfied customer. I am a grilled cheese fan. And if you put grilled cheese on the menu, you owe it to your customers to make a solid grilled cheese sandwich. I have ordered grilled cheese from these people before, and they have come through. Two weeks ago, I ordered grilled cheese, and they sent garbage. They sent grilled garbage. It was not grilled cheese. Um, at the time, I thought, okay, mistakes happen. We will learn from this, and hopefully they'll be better for it. I ordered the grilled cheese again today. After firing the warning shot, I ordered the grilled cheese again today. They sent me this, which somehow, if you're listening on podcast, is worse than what they sent the other day. This is a full-on taco that was about 36 degrees when it got here. And I know good and well that restaurant's not that far away, even after Bradley had to wander on the street a little while to try to find the Uber Eats driver. That's junior director Bradley to you. Um, I don't ask for much. Honestly, I really don't. I want, I want a nice climate-controlled environment here. I'll bring my wardrobe. It's the same thing every week. If you put grilled cheese on the menu, you owe it to me to have at least the following items. A slice of grilled cheese and two pieces of bread. A toaster would help. Maybe some butter if you want to get fancy. But I don't ask for much. I know it will shock you to find out that I don't have the most refined palate in the world. So pretty much anything resembling a grilled cheese sandwich will do. Now you may say to yourself, Josh, that's what you get. That's what you get for ordering grilled cheese from a, from a Mediterranean restaurant. Uh, and then management's wife chimes in the other night of all people and says, that's how they serve grilled cheese in the Mediterranean. But the countless times that she's been over there and ordered that, I digress. She doesn't need to catch a stray here. This is unacceptable. I have ordered the grilled cheese from this Mediterranean restaurant, and I have gotten real grilled cheese before. So, you know, you've heard it said before. Even Meemaw would tell you, when they go low, you need to go high. Not when grilled cheese is involved or whatever this thing is. When they go low with grilled cheese, we go buy. So this place doesn't get our business anymore. And it's, it's a chain Mediterranean restaurant, and it starts with a T and ends with Aziki's. So that's that. 
back on track now. Yeah, they're, they're typing no in the prompter as we speak. I'm sorry, but everyone's going to suffer around here because I didn't get what I want. That's really all I ask for in life, just to get everything I want so that no one else has to suffer collateral damage. It's not all that hard to acquiesce, especially when the, the recipe's so simple. The cavemen understood how to make grilled cheese. They may not have possessed the technological capability to do it, but at least they knew the... We got a long show. I don't want to get too worked up over that. But let's talk about another spotlight team here. I had notes on a post-it for a grilled cheese rant. Uh, we got to talk about LSU. LSU, big-time spotlight team in 2023. Hey, do you think last year was a fluke? I took a little randomized tra straw poll today, and some people... Believe it or not, think that last year was a fluke. They go 10 and 4. They, they wind up in Atlanta. And now they enter 2023. And what are we coming off of? Well, they had two top 10 wins last year. Famously, they beat Alabama. They had 10 wins in a season that followed up 11 wins combined the previous two. Back to back, they've been top five in the portal. They've been top 12 back to back years in recruiting. So talent is there and continuing to walk through the door. They went and got him a starting quarterback out of the portal, Jaden Daniels, who played at a high level a lot of the season last year. And he's back. In fact, speaking of back, that's kind of what makes them a spotlight team for me. Because we've got to figure out how the SEC West is going to sort itself out. No one's really been a sustained contender against Alabama. Now, they were for a little while under Miles. The problem is they kept coming close and not winning. So no one took the rivalry as seriously as they should have. I thought it was one of the most ferocious rivalries for about a seven or eight-year stretch there uh, as the country had, but Bama kept winning the games. They were not blowing them out. Usually they were just winning close games. So no one's really stepped up and, and sustained a push. Auburn has popped a couple of times against Bama, but there have been blowouts mixed in there. Well, the reason I mentioned the offensive numbers for LSU last year is because if last year was a fluke, if, you, if some of you are right about that, then we'll find out this year because they return 81% of their offensive production. And therefore, I'm going to have a lot of players on the field this year that I did last year. And I get to watch the team that is 10th in college football. They are 10th in FBS in returning offensive production I get to see what they can do with it. And if they don't follow up, if there's not a sophomore campaign here, so to speak, for Brian Kelly that looks pretty good or pretty darn close to what we saw last year or maybe even better, then okay, I'll entertain it. You know, if they fall off to eight or seven wins, okay, I'll entertain it. Really, I won't. I don't think it was flukish. I'd certainly, you know what I think about Brian Kelly, but if you don't, let's talk about him for a second. Brian Kelly, the entire BK factor, if you will, to play here. To play in 2023, I've noticed another thing when I've taken more scientific straw polling, basically just talking to people in the DMs on Twitter, that's what that means. Um, there, there's a tendency some people have out there to just not have a clue about Brian Kelly. This has been a problem ever since he was at Notre Dame. It's a problem now that he's at LSU. He's not alone. They do it with Lincoln Riley, too. Don't worry, Brian. But they don't have a clue in some cases about Brian Kelly. If you want to bash him and you want to downplay his accomplishments, but you come at me and you have a well-formulated, logic-based, stat-based argument, okay, we'll just disagree. But most people don't have that. This is the same crowd that was, what do you call it when you play an accordion? inhaling and exhaling the accordion of, well, Brian Kelly has bad dance moves. Well, Brian Kelly has a, he's got a fake accent last year. 
that's that group over there. And that group over there, I don't think it'll be the most surprising headline in the world to note, does not believe in Brian Kelly yet. They saw last year, just like we did, but they saw last year and they said, yeah, he still lost four games. Hey, if he was so good, how come he lost to A&M the last week of the season? Now, these would be good arguments if we were seven years into his tenure there. You don't get to hate on that guy for only winning 10 games when you said he wouldn't make a bowl game. You don't get to recalibrate your expectations on the fly. He's not the failure in that case. Your prediction is the failure. I got, I'm telling you, I'm not going to expose them because they could probably expose me one day when I'm wrong about something. But I've got folks right here in my DMs, which means it's not in front of God and everyone because they hide it in the DMs, but in front of me, they're sitting here telling me he'll struggle to make a bowl game in year one. The dude goes to the SEC championship game, and the same folks are telling me, hey, man, if he's really so great, why'd he lose four games? If he's really so great, why didn't he beat A&M? Do you not see the problem with that, friends? If if you don't, I don't really think anything I say is going to make uh, as Meemaw would say, a hill of beans difference. Brian Kelly's a pretty good coach, has been for a long time. Now, the same crowd that doubts him didn't have their mind changed last year. Will they have their mind changed this year if they just have a good solid season but don't win the SEC West? Is that where we're going to go with this, with this really conflated argument that people make against LSU and Brian Kelly? Hey, he won the West in year one. That means the only way up is to win the SEC this year. Hey, they'll have that as their preseason goal. They'll, they'll, they'll have an outside shot at it. They won't be favored in the West because as long as Saban's at Alabama, it's going to be hard for anyone other than, other than Baba to be favored in the West. Doesn't mean you can't win it because I went back. I had stats and info. Check the records. Guess who was favored in the West last year? Guess who won the West last year? I'm sorry. Spoiler alert if you haven't watched the DVR, but it was the Tigers that won the West. Uh, The other thing that I need to talk to you about with LSU, the reason they're a spotlight team, is recruiting. Now, LSU recruits really well. Louisiana's loaded with talent. Some people, including that rival in the SEC West I talked about, have been able to go into the boot with a little bit too much regularity and take some of that in-state talent. I am speaking, of course, about Alabama. Sure would be nice if that was put to rest. It would be also notable that I think LSU, if they wanted to, once they start having any success on their own, once they are again inserted into the national championship conversation, they can recruit regionally, they can recruit in-state, they can be a national recruiter if they want to. It, it may very well be that Brian Kelly looks and says, no, nah, we got everything we need down here. He can just he can pull like the Ron Meyer in, in a sense that I like the athletes in East Texas. And then instead of dominating Houston, like Ron Meyer said, and we're going to dominate the DFW area, you can go into Houston, but you can just control Louisiana and you'll be good to go. But if they want to, my point is, if LSU, the reason I'm spotlighting them, if LSU starts to ascend again and we figure out, hey, year two looks a lot like year one, they're all of a sudden winning these games again. Yeah, yeah, kids in Thibodeau take note. Uh, Kids in College Park, Maryland take note. Kids in... Uh, where should I go in Ohio? Dayton, Ohio, take note. Tucson, Arizona, national kids, Southern California kids, they take note. And it gives you options. You can recruit however you want to at that point. And that leads to another ripple effect in that whole chain of recruiting. We talk on the show a lot about how it's a really big deal if Miami, if the Florida schools are really good because they can recruit in their state, which is good for them, 
And it also cuts off this pipeline for out-of-state schools that they've relied on. Ditto for Texas and Texas A&M. Ditto for Southern California. And a, a real secret kind of whispered ditto for Louisiana. Don't be letting people come in your state and take your athletes. Go take theirs. That's what LSU should be able to do. They got to be winning before they can do it, but that's what they should be able to do. Next spotlight team. And we're not just doing spotlight teams on the show tonight. We got a whole lot to get to. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of uh, increasing the words per minute here so we don't go an hour 45 tonight because I have to drive home, which will put me over 2,000 miles driven for the week already. More on that later. I've got a post-it in front of me that is just an, it's an incredible and, and very vivid bit of nostalgia. I'll tell you what it means in a second. Uh, USC. USC is a spotlight team this year. This one's very easy to figure out, but maybe I've got some reasons that you wouldn't even think of. I don't care if you hate them, and I, I guess I do care if you love them. You all have reasons uh, to spotlight USC this year. It's a tale as old as time, but I'm going to tell you once more. As a local youth growing up in the South, when Pete Carroll was on his run, this was the most despised program in America. I was raised to, among many other things, just hate USC. They represented everything that was wrong with college football. You know, you're supposed to, you're supposed to go to school and you're supposed to grind it out, suffer and sweat and blood and everything like that. And then Saturday you can have some fun. And then all of a sudden, there are these jerks out on the West Coast and they all got sunglasses on and there's a palm tree in the background and they're tan and they look like they're just living the best life imaginable and they're dominating on Saturdays. You're supposed to have one or the other. You weren't supposed to have both. This was my upbringing. And that was a lot of the upbringing for people east of the Mississippi River watching what USC did. I can't even imagine being a West Coast team during that run. That run, by the way, Pete Carroll, do you understand from 03 to 08, here's what USC did. If you're in college, pay attention. This is what you missed. 03 to 08, that fledgling USC program you've become accustomed to not caring about, 12 and 1, 13 and 0, 12 and 1, 11 and 2, 11 and 2, 12 and 1. They had national championships mixed in there. They had Heisman's mixed in there. I don't really care what the NCAA has taken away. Uh, I understand greatness when I saw it, and I also understand it could be that way again. But it's up to Lincoln Riley, isn't it? Is Lincoln Riley the next Pete Carroll? I really wish I didn't just say that because I know it's going to be it's going to be irresponsibly clipped out of context. But yeah, that's what I remember. I I, I can tell you confidently, as a kid who grew up in the South. When Miami or Southern Cal have been at the top of their game, it is viewed through a different lens nationally than every other program. And I'm including Ohio State, Bama, Clemson. No one looks at programs with as much disdain when they're rolling as they do USC and Miami. There are a bunch of reasons for that. I don't have time to get into. But a lot of our younger viewers, the reason I'm mentioning that is you have not lived in that world. If you're 19 right now, you have not lived in a world, or at least you weren't coherent, when you were living in a world where USC was a serious perennial title contender. Ditto for Miami. Selfishly, I'd love for both of them to be back because I know what it does. College football doesn't need it. I'll talk about that later in the show, but I, I do prefer it. Number one reason why this is a spotlight team for me this year, nobody has to take the Pac-12 seriously. That is not even my opinion. That's just a fact. You have been taught that the Pac-12 is a non-factor in the college football playoff picture. It's been that way for several years now, and you have had your mind trained 
based on results, to not take the Pac-12 seriously. I don't prefer the sport to be that way. I prefer for there to be meaningful football being played out West. Even if it's on at 1 o'clock in the morning, I want to be invested in it. Now, I am, but I'm, I'm a sicko. I'll watch any of that stuff. I, I don't care if both of you are about to miss out on a bowl game and it's 13-9, middle of the third quarter in Corvallis, Oregon. It's not a problem they had last year, by the way. They were a double-digit win team, but you get my point. I don't care, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hardcore most people are tuned out on the Pac-12. It shouldn't be that way. USC is going to have a lot to say about that potentially changing. They're not the only ones, but they're going to have a lot to say about that this year. It matters in recruiting, too. It matters. And, and Southern Cal is chief among them in keeping Southern California talent home. USC is not recruiting at an elite level. They're recruiting at a very good level. They need to be recruiting at an elite level. Now, what they did do in the portal last year is sign the number one class. I think Colorado's got that designation right now. They did sign the number one portal class, and that is heavily baked into how we discuss recruiting in the modern age, obviously. That's the first thing. The second thing is Lincoln Riley. I can have every bit as much fun talking about Lincoln Riley as I can Brian Kelly. Some of the same criticisms that are hurled at Brian Kelly are hurled at Lincoln Riley, and basically it sounds like this. You can't be a great head coach if you haven't won a national championship. That's not my rule, but that is the rule that some adhere to. And look, you, you get to create your own criteria for what you think constitutes greatness. And if your criteria mean that there are two great coaches in college football, so be it. If you think there are 30 of them, I think you need to tighten your parameters a little bit, but also, so be it. I've got my own criteria. I don't necessarily need to have seen you win a national championship. Knowing the variability and volatility that exists in this sport and the uneven nature of this sport, I don't need to see it. But if I'm trying to argue in your favor, it sure would help me to see it. Now, I've shared my opinion with you on Lincoln Riley as it relates to winning a title. He hasn't done it yet. Why hasn't he done it yet? His teams haven't been good enough. You and I agree that far. I think where some of us start to differ is some of you think he'll just always be what he is. And I don't. I believe there's, there's a day not too far from now. It's not a matter of if. I think it's a matter of when he eventually does win a national championship. And whether it's 2023, 2026, the day that happens, there's a huge shift in the national college football conversation coming. Because a lot of folks have just had it ingrained in their mind that among their most popular and repeatable talking points about this sport is Lincoln Riley's overrated and he'll never win a title because they don't play good enough defense. When they do win a title, it'll probably be because they have improved defensively, at which point that same crowd will say, well, no, Josh, you weren't right. I was right. The only reason he won a title is because he made some changes and they improved defensively. And for the second time in the show, that'll be when I drop the pen. The entire premise of my argument is, yes, I expect that to happen. I have this radical theory that the best in any industry start to identify their weaknesses and move to correct them, and then they reap the reward of the fruit that is yielded from the change. For example, I claim to run the most successful apple orchard in all of Harris County, Georgia. You walk up and say, I see oranges. And I say, did I plant orange seeds again? Huh. And then they look me in the eye and say, you fool, you'll never grow apples. I go get a bunch of apple seeds. I put them in the ground, and voila, 
I water them extra aggressively so the tree grows really quickly. And they walk back around and they say, well, yeah, you grew an apple tree, but that's only because you started to plant a different seed. And then I backhand them. And then I'm at the Harris County Jail. Uh, that is exactly what's going to end up happening with Lincoln Riley. I don't know if it's going to be Alex Grinch as his defensive coordinator at Long Haul. He says all the right things about him, but what would he say going into spring? Hey, Alex Grinch is on thin ice with hot blades with me. I'll tell you right now, I'm not on the hot seat, but my defensive coordinator is. We all get it. Alex Grinch gets it. He's, he's a big boy. He can handle it. I don't know if it's going to be him long term, but I know Lincoln Riley, or I think I know he'll get it figured out. So, so there's that. And then there's another reason for the spotlight, and that is the same theme as we're talking about with Texas and Oklahoma. This team here, USC, they're moving conferences. They're going to the Big Ten. Where are they going to slot themselves in going to the Big Ten? They're going to be number one? You, you laugh at that, obviously, because it's not, it, you're picturing it in the here and now. But let me, let me bounce a scenario off of you. Let's say Caleb Williams repeats as Heisman Trophy winner this year. USC goes undefeated regular season. They win the Pac-12 championship. They go to the playoff. They're like a seven-point dog against Georgia. They win. And then they go to the national championship game, and they, they beat Clemson. Then they go to the Big Ten. What are you saying about them then? Where do they fit in the Big Ten at that point? I know it sounds unlikely, especially for the Lincoln-Riley haters out there, but it could happen. And so that's why I'm spotlighting them. Same thing with Texas, same thing with OU. Whatever happens this year, that'll be the framework. That'll be the backdrop with which they enter a new conference. We got to slot them in the Big Ten somewhere. Are they behind Michigan and Ohio State? Are, are they jockeying with Penn State? Does Penn State win the Big Ten and render that entire point moot? Who knows? Whomst amongst us has seen the future? Miss Cleo doesn't even do commercials anymore. So I don't know any psychics out there. I don't know anyone who knows the answer to this. I know they're watching us in Montgomery, Alabama. I know they're watching us in Palm Springs, California, Dearborn, Michigan. Uh, that's where Jimmy Fallon hit that guy, hit and run in, in Almost Famous. Great movie. Uh, also, they're watching us in Lando Lakes, Florida. Good butter down there. Thank you so much. One more spotlight, team, then I got a lot more to get to. Am I going to do it to you? Well, first, I'm going to take a sip from the chalice. But yeah, I'm going to do it to you. Immunity. Notre Dame. Spotlight team, through and through this year, and pretty much every year. 2012 uh, was actually, I didn't mean to say 2012, but since I did, that was a year they went to the national title game and got throttled. Uh, 2022 was the ultimate CYT year for Notre Dame. It's an acronym. If you know, you know. Uh, the first two words stand for calm your, and the T is part of your anatomy. You can do the math. I say that, though. Because everyone needed to calm down. Everyone needed to calm them with Notre Dame. See, they started 0-2. The freak-out campaign began. And if you freaked out hard enough, you didn't even stop to realize, oh, they won nine of their, their last 11 games, including a bowl win, a very dramatic one, against South Carolina. Oh, they went 4-2 and against top 25 competition last year. Wait a second. Wait a second. They, they finished with nine wins in Marcus Freeman's debut campaign which at the beginning of the season was pretty much our barometer, our line in the sand for what he needed to get to. Some people didn't notice that, see, because there was a, there was a national freakout after they lost to a god-awful Marshall team. I saw that. 
I saw that. So that was last year. Why is this a spotlight team this year? Well, the first thing I'm curious about with Notre Dame is what is this quarterback acquisition going to do for them? Sam Hartman. He was the number one overall portal quarterback, rewrote the record books at Wake Forest, and yeah, he's one of a number of quarterbacks in the portal. Let me tell you something. This portal cycle wasn't nearly as, as beefy as a lot of people expected it to be, but Sam Hartman's one of the exceptions. That's a quarterback that's going to make instant impact. This year in South Bend, Indiana, the only question is to what degree is the impact. They were 98th in pass yards per game last year. I can't promise you much of anything, but I can promise you they're going to be a lot better than that as long as he's healthy, even if they lose Tommy Reese as an offensive coordinator and did a national search to promote the tight ends coach as the new coordinator. We've already, we've already gone down that road. So yeah, we're going to have a new look offense there. I just wonder what kind of precedent it sets. You know, I don't think when the transfer portal started to become a thing, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't hear many people talk about Notre Dame as being one of the big beneficiaries from this. I think folks thought Notre Dame was going to be what Clemson voluntarily has been, which is someone who, who kind of drives by the transfer portal and waves at it but doesn't really use it. Well, they've used it, and that, that goes along with back-to-back top 12 recruiting finishes so far under Marcus Freeman. And also, you got to remember, they're a spotlight team for me because they impact so much more of the country. This is not a conference team because they're not in one period. They play USC, spotlight team. They play uh, Ohio State this year, again, in week four at home. They play Clemson this year, again, in week, whatever that is, way down there on November 4th, and they go to Clemson. Great home schedule for the Tigers this year for a change. Talked about that the other night. They, they normally have nothing. And now all of a sudden they get, what, they get Florida State at home in a big year, and then they also get Notre Dame at home. So anyway, maybe, maybe a spotlight program. Hey, maybe we'll do a Clemson mood tracker later in this show. Marcus Freeman is another reason why this is a spotlight team. Marcus Freeman, you need to understand something. I, I don't think a lot of people who out, are outside of Notre Dame circles get this. So when Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame, they tolerated him because he won, but they never felt like he embraced Notre Dame. They felt like they just put up with each other because the, the results were good enough. It's like having a really, really ornery cook in the kitchen, but the meal tastes really good. So you just you avoid confrontation, but there's some things about him you don't like. There's some things about you he doesn't like, but it's just we'll, we'll, we'll let it rest for now. And then the cook left the kitchen. Marcus Freeman is everything they want a Notre Dame head coach to be. Marcus Freeman chooses Notre Dame. He is Notre Dame. He gets the whole Notre Dame aura, mystique. He buys into it. He doesn't just pay it lip service. It is very important to them for that kind of coach to succeed in South Bend. And that's why there's a big spotlight on them this year because he rebounded last year and came out with a pretty good record. There are doubters. There are, there are people out there, trust me, a lot bigger in number maybe than even you realize, who think, no, 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 no. That last year, that was Marcus Freeman still benefiting from a lot of the infrastructure that Brian Kelly left behind. That was the Red Bull season. That was the sugar high season. It'll only be downhill from there. Then there are some other folks who say, mm, I think we may be recruiting just a tick higher in caliber than Brian Kelly did. I think maybe we got a guy that's a little more serious and also ingrained into the culture of Notre Dame. 
I think it's only onward and upward from here. I think we're going to be a national title contender. And by the way, we just went out and got a quarterback better than we had been playing with under Brian Kelly. You see how the, the two camps kind of clash? I keep looking down at this piece of paper. There are like three things written on it. And one is that stat I just read you, 98th in pass yards per game. Notre Dame's a spotlight team. I, I, don't, I don't know what preview magazine season holds for us, frankly, but I don't know that I'm going to hear a lot of Notre Dame playoff talk. And they got a tough schedule, which, again, is one of the big myths in college football. And I don't, I don't even have time to get into this tonight. Maybe we'll do it on the next show, but I, I don't know where it comes from. I used to believe in it until I actually opened a bit of research or did a bit of research on it. This notion that Notre Dame doesn't play tough competition is baffling to me. It's, it's hardly ever been true in recent history. Well, Josh, they play Navy every year. Well, yeah, they do. Well, Josh, they go, they go, play, they go play Army sometimes. Okay, okay. Well, haven't, haven't you seen? I mean, they play Stanford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same folks saying that have an FCS team on their schedule, by the way. I don't care about the three worst teams you play. I care about the five or six best ones you play. Did you not just hear me say they got Ohio State, Clemson, and Southern Cal on the schedule this year? And sure enough, I'm going to have someone tell me, well, sure, with that schedule, anyone, anyone could what? Any, mm, Notre Dame plays a plenty beefy enough schedule. That's the least of my concerns about them. Spotlight team this year, Notre Dame. Spotlights, do they sell them at Academy Sports and Outdoors? I'm sure you can get a really, really strong flashlight there. If they don't just outright sell spotlights, an Academy would have come in handy in Lewistown, Illinois the other day because we got ourselves into a little bit of a pickle, tornadically, that I'll tell you about later in the show, and we needed badly some supplies. Um, didn't have one. And I could not hit up Academy.com because they didn't have hourly shipping available, and we had to get out of there. So that is, that is the first time in my life that Academy has let me down, and that's really me letting myself down more than Academy. But Academy Sports and Outdoors has you covered for basically 99% of the other necessities you have in life. I don't think they're selling eggs there. Uh, but So 98% of your other needs in life. You can't get an immediate camper top replacement for a truck or a dozen eggs at Academy, but pretty much everything else you need, they've got there. And like I said, if you don't have one in your hometown, we will work to change that. But in the meantime, Academy.com, if you have the internet, that's pretty much what you need. They are our exclusive partner here. Look around. The only other logos on the set are the college football playoff, which we've inexplicably just had up here, Colin, and I never even realized that. And then we got a Pate State thermos. And uh, that's it. And we don't need to have any other logo or brand up here because Academy takes care of us wholesale. And they will take care of you too. Thank you so much to Academy. All right. It will bring me great pleasure to talk to you over the next few minutes about something that's been close to my heart for a long time. Take a sip from the chalice. This is going to be celebratory in nature. Um, let's see. How many times? Probably a million. A million or so times I've sat behind this microphone and I have banged the drum because we're a percussion show. We got about 12 or so drums we bang and one of them has been, why don't we change the format of spring games or at least give the option to? That's an important word. Probably the most important word over the next five minutes on this show is option. There is no way I was letting this go. 
I was never letting this go because I know it makes sense. There are some ideas I have that are controversial. Some ideas I have, there truly are multiple ways to skin the cat, and therefore there's no right or wrong. And, and technically, I guess on this, there's not a right or wrong, but there is a more sound way. I'm not a guy who just loves change for change's sake, but I am a guy who, if I see a, a, an obvious, logical, progressive step that we can take to better something, I'm all for it and I'm not going to leave it alone. Spring games have long needed an alteration. You have long needed the opportunity to, well, you know what? Don't listen to me. I'm going to let Hugh Freeze tell you himself. Colin, let's roll it. The solution is allow us to scrimmage somebody on a day, another team. And I think everybody would get out of it exactly what they want. And if everybody's doing that, people will come see that. And you're decreasing your injury um, possibilities by 50%. And coaches are smart enough to control. We're not going to hit each other's quarterbacks. We practice that way. And if you want to put a blue jersey or a different jersey on somebody that's don't take to the ground, we can do that. And I just think it would be great for the sport. I think it would be awesome. NFL gets to scrimmage against others. High schools get to scrimmage against each other. And I just, for the life of me, I don't understand why we haven't gotten to that point where we can pull that off. Yeah, uh, me either, Coach. Me either. So, uh, you know, you've heard me state basically the same opinion many, many times on this show. Crickets. So maybe now that college football coaches, head coaches, are banging the drum along with us, like the Miami Sound Machine, got multiple percussionists up here, maybe finally we'll get some action on this. There's no downside. And I, the reason I know there's no downside is because of that key word I told you to remember. Option. 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 Not the offense. The concept that you have choices. It should be optional. So I went to Twitter today. So I knew we were going to talk about this, and I, I knew this happened a couple of days ago, and I was storm chasing, so I have not talked to you about this yet, but I'm going to talk to you about it now. I went to Twitter and I said, have I missed it? Has there been anybody present an opposing viewpoint on this, or is everyone just in favor of it? Now, what I said, my exact words were, is anyone actually against having the option to schedule other teams for spring games? If so, why? I had some people say they don't want it, but no one gave me a legitimate pushback on having the option to have it. Uh, you've got the option to eat spaghetti every night of your life until you pass away at 45 from heart failure. I can say I wouldn't do that if I were you. I'm not taking away your option to eat paschetti every night. Yes, that's the right way to pronounce it, at least where I'm from. Give them the option. It's all Hugh Freeze is talking about. It's all anyone's talking about. Give them the option. I had some folks say, oh, what about injuries, Josh? Well, by my math, you'd have 11 of your guys on the field at one time instead of 22. So that shoots down the notion of injuries being an increased risk. And now you're just, just a scare tactic and quite frankly, a dumb one that you just haven't thought through. Remember the rule around here, smart people can say dumb things. Dumb people rarely say smart things. Anyone that is fearing the risk of injury as being a key reason why we shouldn't be scheduling other teams. That's just, it's just smart people saying dumb things. Think it through. What, what is more risky, having 22 of your players on the field at one time or 11? I ran the numbers, and it turned out exactly how you think it would. 
So this is not change for change's sake. This is like legitimately improving the nature of the game. What business are we in? What business is Hugh Freeze in? It's not the football business. It's the entertainment business. Surprisingly, I've had arguments about this too. It's, I know the game is football. I also know Hugh Freeze is paid what he's paid because people are entertained by it. So he's not in the coaching profession. True enough, his job title is coach. But he is a coach in the entertainment industry. I talk in a microphone in the entertainment industry. We have two totally different jobs, and mine wouldn't exist without his, and his would exist without mine, but it's all part of the entertainment industry. I say that for one of a number of benefits this would provide. It provides a spectacle and an event for fans, the lifeblood of your sport and your existence. There's a reason they have 90,000 of them in stadiums and multiple millions of them watching around the country every Saturday in the fall. And there's a reason that you were in palatial facilities. It's because there's a lot of money in this thing because a lot of people care about it. Ultimately, you got to give them what they want, especially when it makes sense. It makes sense to do this. Number two, the other lifeblood of this sport and earmuffs, kids, if you want to live in a utopia is money. Money is a really big factor in all this. If I'm running ESPN or CBS or Fox and I want inventory and I listen to someone present the idea that, hey, maybe we'll turn spring games into kind of real games. I'm asking where I sign. And not only that, I'm asking, what do you need from me? I'm willing to subsidize it, which leads me to my third point. You're not going to see Clemson versus Georgia in a spring game. What you may very well see, though, is Georgia versus Georgia State in a spring game. Hugh Freeze, later in that soundbite, we didn't play it. He, he advocated for Auburn playing Troy or Alabama playing UAB. You're not seeing that in a regular season. Anyone who understands the politics in the state of Alabama knows why. You're not going to see that in the regular season. But you will see him play Furman. You will see him play UT Chattanooga uh, to the delight of nobody. Benefit number three here is we get to take that trash FCS weekend that you cram down people's throats in the fall and force people to pay season ticket prices for, and we can move it to the spring. And your TV partner has every motivation to subsidize the game. Or in other words, pay that FCS opponent to come to Bryant-Denny Stadium or Jordan-Harris Stadium and take home their paycheck just like they would in the fall and create something that doesn't exist. You see, you got 12 weeks in the fall, and there are going to be games on them no matter what. If I can remove a subpar product from one of those 12 dates in the fall and also simultaneously create a new event in the spring with that same team, paying them so they benefit the same way, you are filling your stadium to varying degrees. You've got concessions. You've got gate revenue. You've got a TV partner cutting you a check. The TV partner is also probably happy to pay $750,000 to your FCS tomato can to come into town. All due respect to tomatoes and FCS programs, but we get what it's about here, or, or at least I think we get what it's about. It, it lessens the amount of unpalatable FCS versus Power 5 games in the fall. We're looking right now on our screen. If you're listening on podcast, let me tell you the dark, dark truth. There are 55 FCS versus Power 5 matchups this fall. It's unacceptable. And yet, if I were an athletic director, I'd do it. I'd do it because it's a free win, or at least most times it is. There's nothing in the rules against it. 
and other folks are doing it. So why should I, why should I unfairly hamstring my program and force us to play tougher competition? Hey, just give the spring game option and then heavily penalize folks who still schedule FCS competition in the fall. A lot of benefits there, right? So, so in the nature of fairness, because we're nothing if not fair around here, I wanted to know what problems people could have with this because it sounds like a win-win-win to me. And I asked you, therefore, who has a problem with this? Who thinks, and remember how I worded this for the second time, is there anyone against having the option to schedule real teams for spring games? I got not one bit of feedback that was valid because any of the negatives I got back were just people telling me it's, it's their preference that their school doesn't play another team in a spring game. That's cool. Like, here, here were some reasons I got. Uh, elite teams benefit more from intra-squatting because elite teams, Alabama would benefit more from their players playing against their own players rather than playing against Troy. Higher level of competition. Cool. Exercise your option not to have one. Uh, we may show too much, whatever in the world that means. Fine. Don't have one. We may get upset. Beta mentality. Fine. Don't have one. Well, smaller schools don't want to risk the injury. <laughs> this is my favorite. Those smaller schools sure don't have a problem cashing that check and, and feeding those players to the wolves in the fall. Uh, this is totally irrelevant <laughs> to the decision making. Once those kids sign the waiver and once they put on that, that uh, where should I go? Because I've already used UT Chattanooga. Once they put on that jersey, all bets are off. Speaking of betting, I don't know if you'd be able to in a spring game. Yeah, uh, if you don't like that, though, don't schedule one. Spring games, this is another bit of feedback I got. Spring games, those are for depth building and development, not for fans. Actually, the least amount of depth building and development happens in the spring game. If you want to see real development and depth building happen, actually, you can't. If I could take you with me to some of these practices that, that sometimes we get to attend, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll attend a couple of them next week, actually. And you could watch what happens every day at practice. You would realize they're scrimmaging every day. For at least portions of, their, of those practices, they're going good on good or one versus two, two versus one every single day. The spring game does not resemble what real football looks like. The jerseys are there. It is 11 on 11. The field dimensions are the same. Otherwise, you want to see real scrimmage action, you can't. They're not going to show it to you. And I'm not sure how many people would sign up to exercise the option to have a real spring game. I just want it to be a possibility. Here's the way this would happen, by the way. I said that really quick. Here's the way this would happen. If I don't, know, I don't know how it becomes legal, actually. But if it became legal, if it became the law of the land that you could do this, about 10 programs would do it the first year. About 60 of them would do it the next year. And then it would be the norm. And it would be a huge recruiting event, more so than it already is. It would be like a, a second homecoming. And then you'd be asked, if you weren't doing it, why aren't we doing this? And none of these reasons would be valid. So there's also, there, there's another one here. There was another reason someone gave me for not doing this. This one's valid. It's just part of the risk-reward. If I'm a smaller school and I'm going to go play Pate State in their spring game, and I'm going to get paid money to go do it. The risk is those folks over at Pate State may see a couple of players on my roster that could start for them. We got a post-spring portal window, you know. 
And so one of the risks for those FCS teams is they come in and they push back on you a little bit harder than you thought they would so much so that, man, that slot receiver had what? Nine catches for 128 and two touchdowns against us. We've got a weakness. Where? Slot receiver. Uh, hey, catch him in the parking lot. Get in his DMs. Tell him we may have a space for him here. That is a risk. It's already a risk, though. Quite frankly, I don't think any of your players are being discovered in the spring game. And if they do, that's why it's called risk-reward. You're cashing a major paycheck. If you lose a player to the big boys, it's up to you to measure it. I'm not telling you it has to be one way or the other. It can be either or. You can choose to exercise the option or not. The option. It makes no sense not to have the option. That's all I'm saying. That's all I've ever said. Next question. We're on a good roll here. We've got, still got some more to go. I mean, I, I hate to tell you, but if you're out there hoping for an off-season, it's not on this show tonight. Speaking of this show, please remember, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the channel and like the video uh, because about a fifth of you have right now. Now, I don't want to go on a hunger strike, but it wouldn't be hard because this is the only food I have available to me, so it would not be hard. Look at this, upside down, frowny face. Be glad if you're on podcast today and you can't see the visual. It would just disappoint you. This used to be a great country. I don't know when we made the turn, but it was somewhere around 5.30 p.m. today when they made whatever this is. It's not grilled cheese, whatever that is. I got a question from Blake on Twitter today from Mesquite, Texas, born and raised. He said, do you agree college football needs Texas to be good for the sport overall to be great? No, I don't. But that would make a terrible segment. So I'm going to give you a few reasons why. I have a personal preference. I sure do. I want Texas to be really good. I am an elitist. I like the Blue Blood programs to be good. Sorry, sue me. Uh, but there is a sense of self-importance that some of us at the college football table have sometimes, and it leads to statements like that one, Blake. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. But it leads to statements sometimes, and they sound a little something like this. Tell me if you've heard this before. College football can't be great unless Texas is great. College football needs Florida State to be good. College football is only good when Alabama's good. None of that's true. None of it's ever been true. None of it ever will be true. Let me tell you what college football's done. Especially over the last 20 years, it's exploded. Every metric imaginable, some including the ones you've never even heard of, are through the roof. Could you name me a single program that has sustained greatness for the last 20 years? Because I can't. Even Bama was on probation before Saban got there. Texas has wildly fluctuated. Southern Cal feels like they fell off the face of the earth for a little while. There's several of the major brands in college football that have, to varying degrees, been either good or irrelevant at best and at worst. Over that period, college football has been fine. I mean, Miami has not been elite since high-def television became a thing. And their folks probably telling you, hey, man, college football needs Miami to be good. No, college football would prefer Miami to be good. They'd prefer Texas to be good. College football goes right on ticking. They, it goes right on about its business just fine, whether Texas is 12-0 or 0-12, and ditto for any other individual programming or program. Speaking of programming, I know what the comment section's about to do. Sometimes, if I have the instinct like that or the intuition, I try and get ahead of the comment section, which is bad because we actually want more comments, so I may want to change that strategy. But uh, anyway, 
the comment section is going to have someone who, who feigns an intellectual superiority to the rest of us mere mortals, and they're going to say, yeah, 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 but you don't get what it's really about, Josh. What about the ratings? What about the revenue? And I just told you both are fine, but if I wanted to entertain this nonsense, do you know how to interpret ratings? I know they tweet them out sometimes, and you see, for instance, the, the Women's National Championship the other day did bonkers numbers. But do you really know how to get into the weeds? Do you know the difference between a metered and a non-metered market? Do you know quarterlies versus hourlies? Do you, do you have any idea of year over year and decade over decade comps? Do you know how the ad sales infrastructure works and how much has already been sold against an event before the rating ever comes in? Yes, no, maybe, probably no. It doesn't impact you. You shouldn't know those things. You're a nerd if you do. Guilty. I'm the nerd who actually dives into that stuff. Uh, Trust me when I tell you, it should be none of your business voluntarily. You should make it none of your business. Treat that stuff the same way you would people gossiping about you. Just make it none of your business. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to you. The product is the product. Here's what college football needs. College football doesn't need any one team to be good, to be great. College football needs Saturday to be king. That's what it needs. It needs Saturday to be the nucleus of the sport. And as long as that's the case, college football is going to be fine. It's why a lot of folks who share the belief I do uh, find it less than desirable the direction that some of the powers that be try and take the sport sometimes because they try and take it a direction where Saturday's not the nucleus. The playoff is the nucleus of it. And Saturday, it's just kind of something we do in the meantime. It kind of orbits around the postseason. That's not college football. Uh, and if, if it ever does become that, you know what you've gotten all of a sudden? You do have a brand that the, the overall sport needs. And it's, hold on, Colin, keep this shot. The brand is this thing right here. And if you're listening on pod, I'm holding up the college football playoff thermos. And once the sport becomes about that, it's not really the sport you know and love anymore. Even as, even as some of you are supporting that expansion, I'm not telling you expansion is going to ruin college football. I am telling you, as long as you maintain the proper priority structure, then we never get into that world where one brand has to be great for the sport to be great. So, Tyler, I hope for your sake out there in Mesquite, Texas, great people in Mesquite, I hope for your sake that year three under Sark is a big year. Because like I told you, I got personal preferences. And I, I certainly do think it does benefit the sport when you get a playoff where you got some of those big names. Like, can you imagine the first time Texas makes the playoff? Can you imagine the first time Southern Cal makes the playoff? They hadn't been there, right? No. I, I mean, think about that. I'm trying to think. Penn State, the first time they make the playoff. Uh, Miami, if they make the playoff, Florida State has been there, but it feels like a long time ago because it was. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. It's not necessary. Not necessary. Believe it or not, there's some folks out there who love the TCU stories. Don't necessarily love 65 to 7, but they love the TCU story in the meanwhile. There's, there's room for all. There's room for everyone at that table is my point. Uh, I think we're deep enough in the show now. We're de- yeah, we're deep enough in the show. This is what I do sometimes. If I have a story to tell you, I don't lead the show with it. Because I know the nature of our audience retention. And I know the average, show, the average viewer watches our show a whole lot longer than any other show out there. And thank you for that. Boy, that means a lot. That, that, that we, we get to take that stat and just 
hold it over management's head. And so thank you for that. But I also know what our P1 listeners and viewers do. They watch the whole show. They listen to the whole show. And they care about everything in the show. So really extra special thank you to you guys. So I get a little deeper in the show, and if, if I want to get a little loose with it, this is where I get a little loose with it, and I can tell you a story about what happened the other day because I had probably about 58 million DMs, rough estimate, asking me to tell you what happened the other day. So as you know, I go storm chasing in the spring. We did it the other day. We went on Tuesday. Actually, Monday night I drove to Columbia, Missouri and stayed in Columbia. Shout out, Tigers. I got there at like midnight, so I didn't, I didn't go by the offices over there. I didn't go by the facility. And then I made my way up to Iowa City, Iowa, the next morning. Yeah, I drove. I'm not management. Come on now. I, I don't have that NetJets card. And so I drove up there in, in the most blue-collar mentality possible. That's how we roll. And I was in Iowa City, and then storms started to fire, and we, we went down to Mount Pleasant, Iowa, and it was still not working out. And then all of a sudden, two cells start to fire, and we got to make a decision. We're either going to go back west or we're going to just haul it east. And we hauled it east into Illinois. And we got to the town of Lewistown. And we got there about the time an eventual EF3 tornado got there. And we went through a hail core to get there. It was very HP. It was very high precipitation. It was the antithesis of last week where we had not a lot of rain and these picturesque supercells down in Arkansas. Hey, you deal with what you deal with. So, Colin, roll that video I showed you. So, if you're, if you're watching, hey, this is going through a hail core. This is going through high precipitation to get to a tornado. Now, we got it pinged on radar. We got multiple products there. So, you see it's as safe as it kind of can be. This is not safe at all. More on that in a second. So, anyway, we are going through some very treacherous terrain. We know we've got that, we've got that thing pinged in front of us, and we're about two minutes late. And Colin, the second video, if you can roll it, we come up in Lewistown. Tornado, actually, you can still see the tornado in the distance. You just can't make it out. It has come through here about two minutes. It's an EF3 tornado at that point off in the distance. And this car has just been rolled that we're coming up on. And at this point, you got to go see if everyone's okay. Because there's someone in that car, by the way. They were okay. They were unharmed. And uh, that cop car off in the distance, that police officer got caught in it. So we had to go check on him. There was a chaser car just off camera to the right that had power lines wrapped around it. Which brings me to the biggest takeaway. Kids, you got to be careful with power lines. You got to be extra careful when they're down all over the road. Um, we were not, as it were. Frankie's in the, uh, in the driver's seat there. Uh, shout out to Frankie up there in northwest Arkansas and Zach as well. So we are going about 30 miles an hour because there are houses that have been hit by this thing. So the first thing you do is you shift into search and rescue mode and you got to go make sure that you're not dealing with serious injuries. Thankfully, we weren't because it was a pretty sparsely populated area. So a few houses got hit, we check on them. A few cars got rolled and hit and we check on them. They're good. Problem is we weren't. So we're going about 30 miles an hour, probably 20 miles an hour. We're not going that fast because there are power poles and power lines and debris all over the place. One of the power lines was not all the way on the ground. It was about windshield height, fully tensioned over the road. And we didn't see it because it was too late. When we finally saw it, it was dusk. It's not really illuminated out there. And that power line hits the front of that truck 
and it takes one of the mounted lights, throws it into the windshield, shatters the windshield right in front of me. It's lucky I'm still even here. Now, that wasn't the worst part, though. The worst part is then that power line goes up over the truck as we're going under it, and it rips the camper top clean off the truck, just, just shreds the attachments, and throws it on the ground, and we didn't even know it. So we go about another half mile down the road, and once we've checked to the point where the road was impassable and we couldn't go any further, we get out, and all of a sudden, there's no back on the truck anymore. And it was one of those classic, you got full coverage on that truck, liability only. We had to go back and find the top. Miraculously, none of the glass shattered. But from there, man, we had to go up an hour up the road. This is where I told you I needed Academy. We had to go get some C-clamps from Walmart, and there was not one out in the middle of a field in Illinois. So then we kick it back over to Mount Pleasant. That was another hour drive, and I drove straight shot from Iowa in the middle of the night all the way back to Nashville. And I came into work yesterday on no sleep. Am I a hero? I can't say for sure, but yes, I am. But that was a wild time up there in Illinois. First time ever chasing in Illinois. And while the experience wasn't overall pleasurable, maybe I'll be back. We'll see. But that was, a, that was an EF3 tornado uh, just up the road in Bryant, Illinois. Hey, I got to tell you something, which I didn't think about. I need to be responsible with this. A lot of you are asking me, hey, hey, should I go storm chasing? What, what should I do? Don't. Don't do it. Don't do it ever. And if you do, make it about five years from now when you've properly studied up and you understand what you're doing. Because there are a lot of folks out there getting themselves into a lot of trouble right now. It's kind of, it's been a plague the past two chases I've been on. You got some folks that are, um, you're risking getting yourself killed. That's what you're doing. And it's, it's happened before. It will happen again. And so there's a purpose why people are out there and there is a way to do it. And it's not learned overnight. So that's my advice. Don't do it. There. All right, let's move on. Clemson Mood Tracker time. Sound the alarms. The Mood Tracker is here for Clemson. Quick, quick question. Where is Clemson right now? Not on the map, although that's a good test too. I would just ask you, where's Clemson as a program? As, as we do the Mood Tracker and I explain to you how the fan base feels, or at least I try and guess how the fan base feels, where's Clemson? Classic consequence of success here because Clemson is being viewed as down or off pace or fading. And the reality is they have won double digit games every year since 2011. They have been the ACC champion seven of the last eight years, including this last one. Does that sound like a down program to you? Only answer yes. If you understand that you have ended up recalibrating your own perception of that program and you have vaulted the expectations into a stratosphere that's, that's really unfair. Uh, people have done it with Bama. Now Saban has still continued to knock down championships, but it's unrealistic to expect a program to just perennially provide you that kind of level of play. So Clemson's not down. Clemson may have temporarily had a cramp in their toe and took their foot off the accelerator. They're not down. They haven't ground to a halt, which kind of brings me to a point I wanted to make because I was thinking about what to make the mood. So I ended up making the mood cleaning the cosmetics. Programs can have messes of all different variety. Programs can have problems of all different varieties. Some of them obviously are more serious than others. Imagine you go in to interview for a job, right? And you sit down and you do your interview and then you don't get the job. And the recruiter calls you back and says, hey, you, you nailed the interview. They just, they're really high on attention to detail. And it turns out your shirt was, the buttons were misaligned. That's scenario A. Scenario B, 
the recruiter calls and says, hey, uh, you didn't tell me you had 37 HR violations and a pending sexual harassment complaint from your last place of employment. That's what cost you the job. One of these problems are a little more serious than the other. Clemson's just got misaligned buttons right now. It's cosmetic. These things are fixable. The tire's flat. The engine is not broken. And so I think that Clemson fans feel that way. And if that's the way they feel, I would share that sentiment. But, but that also means we need to do a healthy look at what Dabo Swinney just did. This time last year, I was a little bit critical of him. And I was critical of him because they, they had to replace two coordinators, and I just didn't like what he did, just point blank. I didn't like that he had the opportunity to conduct a national search, and his philosophy was, I want to promote from within, and he did that. And there, there's nothing wrong with promoting from within. Sometimes you have great candidates. I didn't feel like he had great candidates. And he promoted from within, and it didn't work out. Now, as much criticism as he, as it turns out, deserved for that, he deserves a lot of credit for hitting the dump button after one year. I think the same thing about Mario hiring Gaddis down at Miami. You, you make a bad decision. You, you understand. I don't think some people understand how hard that is to do. Because, see, you want to preach patience. And also, you put your stamp of approval on him. So really, it's not Dabo Swinney telling Brandon Streeter he's a failure. It's Dabo looking in the mirror and saying, I, I failed. Because this guy's no different than he was when I elevated him. I'm the one who screwed up. It's your job to do that. It's not easy to do that. Doesn't matter how many millions of dollars they pay you. It's not easy to admit, man, I screwed it up. That spectacularly in one year. Five years down the road, okay, one year, that's tough. But he did it. As much criticism as you wanted to throw at him, myself included, you got to throw some praise his way because not only did he hit the dump button on a failed experiment, he more than made up for it. He went and got Garrett Riley. And that was the highest profile name in the coordinator market. Garrett Riley was the highest profile candidate available out there. Top 10 scoring offense at TCU last year. Former quarterback, 33 years old. Uh, won the Broyles Award last year. Now, I don't want to sit here and tell you that all Broyles Award winners are created equal because someone's going to tell me, hey, guess who won it the year before? Josh Gaddis. So I, I get it. This is a good resume. I, I think this will work out. Unlike last year when I had a bunch of coaches hit me up saying, Gaddis is not going to work out at Miami. I haven't had one hit me up and say, Garrett Riley, fraud, imposter, it won't work out. So. I got a little more confidence in this hire. Kay Klubnik is one of the reasons I have confidence because that's the eighth highest rated signee they've ever had there. And it may be, it, he may end up being one of the best quarterbacks they've ever signed. They've had some good ones, some really good ones. One of the five stars they signed just moved on because this, this other five star they have is that good. Consequences of success, notwithstanding, Clemson is just, they're fixing the cosmetics right now. They just put on a shade too dark and they got to wipe it off, and Hoomst Amongst Us hasn't been there before. I'm a, I'm a Maybelline natural beige guy myself, but maybe they're caramel beige or caramel beige. There's a direct correlation between people who say caramel and people who say tournament. I don't want to get into it. But at Harris County High School, it's just good old-fashioned tournaments. Clemson's going to be okay. Now, that's easy to say. Are they going to be great? That's the more difficult thing. Are they going to be in the are going to be in the championship hunt this year, or is it just a good solid ten and two effort? Both are acceptable, but only one ends up getting talked about ten years down the road. 
We have just done a 71-minute show in the middle of April. They said it couldn't be done, but they don't know us, do they? I will uh, be headed to Georgia in about 20 minutes, so I'm, I'm on the way home tonight. We will not have a show this Sunday. It is Easter Sunday, so I will be down there doing my Easter thing. And then Tuesday, stay tuned to the socials. I know we're going to have a show next Thursday. Okay, we know that. But there, there could be some shenanigans going on in a good way next Tuesday. So just keep an eye at Late Kick Josh, Twitter and Instagram for a number of reasons. This is just one of them. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great weekend yourselves, and God bless you.